Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. My name is Trey Kaufman. The goal of the Mosaic Life Podcast is to explore happiness. And through more than 100 of these conversations, I've come to discover for myself that happiness isn't a destination I'm ever going to land on and lay down my roots. I've found, however, that through demanding the best for myself and not sacrificing in the areas most important to me in my life that I no longer need to chase happiness, that it's become a state of mind. One I can access only because I know the work it takes to achieve it. That is what these conversations have unlocked for me. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, I would be incredibly grateful if you would share it with a friend who you think would receive value from it. That would mean the world to me. I feel so fortunate for having had the opportunity to talk with my guest today. I was lucky enough to have the chance to speak with her on her podcast recently, Live Your Spa Life, which you can find a link to in the show notes. And it was interesting to me how the two conversations differed. I get the sense that Diane and I don't agree on everything, and I'm, I'm very, very careful how I word that because I don't want it to be construed as a bad thing. She and I have a very similar drive for pushing ourselves and a passion for helping others live powerful lives. And what I'm discovering, or maybe that's not the best word, what I'm, what I'm accepting as fact is that no matter where we land on issues, you, me, Tim down the street, is that with rare exception, we're doing the best we can to live happy and meaningful lives. You know, sometimes it's helpful for me when I feel hurt or offended to think about someone with whom I might wholly disagree and try to empathize with them and who they are when they step away from the keyboard. Again, I wanted to be very careful how I worded that because Diane is an amazing woman and this conversation was far from contentious. It was super important that she and I discuss what it takes for so many of us to live our best lives and there are so many great takeaways from our conversation here. Diane Halfman was an undercover cop for the San Diego Police Department where she experienced a unique perspective of life behind the scenes. Diane took her years of experience to pioneer the creation of her own company called Spa Life, which stands for Seek Power Always. As the host of Live Your Spa Life podcast and productivity consultant, Diane Halfman travels the country speaking, consulting, conducting workshops dedicated to helping overwhelmed women entrepreneurs and corporate leaders move from a life of emergency to emergence. Please welcome one of the most interesting people I know, Diane Halfman. Diane, how are you? I'm well, Trey. It's good to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to speak again. Uh, I was on your podcast recently, which was a phenomenal conversation. And just, I, I like, uh, I don't know, I, I enjoy having these conversations because you're empowering the world to, you know, be just a little bit better. So I, I, I thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. I just, 
adore that you're doing the conversation around happiness because I think too many people are focused on the opposite of that. And I think when people get to really distill down what that means to them, it's yes. it's a deep conversation. I, I like I like that. Um, it I, I get so scripted when I talk about what the podcast is because you only have a few seconds to catch people's attention. But when you really start to talk about happiness. You have to discover what it actually means because it's it just seems ethereal to so many people. It seems, oh, happiness is this good feeling that I get on occasion. Why is it on occasion? You know, what are you chasing right now? That if and if you if you aren't happy or if, or if you're saying that you'll be happy at some point in time, that is kind of saying that you're not happy right now. So what what is it? So I don't know. It's just, it's very important for us to discover what that actually means for us. Yeah. You know, it's funny because ever since you and I started talking about it, I really started talking to other people about that and really sitting with myself what that means. And, you know, finding out what some of the distinctions are around that too, because you, you know, you kind of talked about that elusiveness of happiness of like, you know, it happening in pockets and what would it look like if we had that uh, on, on a more regular basis. And one of the distinctions I thought was really cool is that, you know, the breakdown of the word happiness is happenstance, that yeah. it is fleeting, it is here and there. And, you know, there are words like joyful, right? Yes. Where that is actually a state of being. And when you decide that you're going to be joyful, regardless of external circumstances and things that are going on, like it may seem really weird, like over the, like, the last two years where people have been, you know, depressed and fearful and just this craziness that's happening out there. I feel like I've been able to maintain my joy. Yes. I've not always been happy, but I no, because I can, I get frustrated as well with things that are happening, right? Those are just emotions that you move through and yeah. happiness is another emotion that you move through. But when you have a commitment and, and deciding that, you know, Hey, this is the one life we get to live. I'm not going to throw away two years of uh, yes. being off track. I'm going to be joyful and create the moments that I want to have in my life because that's what we're here to do is to create those things. Oh, that's so profound. I, I love how you said that. And yeah, and in, in, in direct regard to the last two years, I, I've spent, for whatever reason, a bit of time thinking about that over the last couple of weeks. And yeah, restaurants were closed down. There were no concerts or sporting events. And those were things that I, I used to enjoy going to. And I'm sure if I had the opportunity again, I would enjoy it once again. But th that the fact that I was unable to do those things in the last year and a half, two years, that did not detract any value from my life whatsoever. I spent so much time outside running and mountain biking and doing the things that I actually truly, really enjoy and, you know, build me up, not just in a, in a mental state, but also a physical one. And it's just, my life was not, there was no, nothing detracted from my life in the past two years. And I think that's a very, I don't know, for me, it was very important or it is very important to be able to say that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that, you know, especially for people who are are listening to this and maybe that wasn't their experience and they allowed a lot of external, ex, you know, circumstances to dictate how they were living. Yeah. It's a great time to reflect and go, okay, what, 
what can I do internally? How can, what kind of decisions can I make going forward that I'm actually more at choice versus, you know, this reacting to what other people are saying, how you need to live your life, like to really get clear, uh, you know, and, and I think that's what happened with like a lot of the TV, right? TV is known for programming. They're programming you to believe in a certain way, which is why I don't listen to it, you know, because, you know, you have to look at what's the agenda of what they're telling you and is it truth and who's paying for that, right? And so that messaging, when you look at all of that, you have to look at the totality of what's being presented to you in life and be able to do your own research, do your own, you know, uh, coming to Jesus, how you want to live your life and what it looks like and what do you stand for? Like, what are your commitments and what are you going to do? And from that place, you get to decide how you're going to live your life and what each day is going to look like and how you're going to show up. And I don't know if you noticed that, but in the, the last couple of years, you know, I would uh, show up in places living my life how I would. And in some ways, I felt like it gave other people the permission to do yes. it themselves. Yes, I, I do feel that way. And, and I I absolutely feel that way. And I, I'm, I'm afraid that there have been instances where somebody sees you living your best life and they're put on guard uh, because of that. And I, I don't know, I, I want people to see that as permission. I don't want people to say, I don't have that. And so I'm going to objectify you or I'm going to be mad at you because you have it and I don't. And I'm not willing to put myself in a position to actually do the things that it takes to achieve that state of that state of being. And I don't know, I, I think to your point, you know, really thinking critically about the information that is presented to us. We don't always have a choice about what information is, is fed into our brains or our ears. You know, sometimes it's it just it's overhearing something. Sometimes it's being on a news channel that for whatever reason you can't turn away from. It's just we can take in information and we don't have to necessarily believe it. We don't have to internalize it, but we can hear it and we can think critically about it. And then we can have nuanced conversations around it so we can work to find what the actual truth is. And I think that's so important. It's something that we're not doing enough of right now. I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, sometimes we forget this just foundation of, you know, the beauty that we have as, as American citizens uh, to, you know, have a stand for freedom. And and yeah. what is freedom, right? It's like when you're at liberty, like you're at choice, you actually get to make the decisions that you want to do. And I think so many times people have gotten lazy to expect uh, a government official to tell them how to make decisions and how to live their life. And, you know, when we look at, uh, I've been like re rereading and re-understanding more about like the constitution and, and yeah. like, what does that actually mean? And one of the things that that really was kind of an aha for me was realizing that the purpose of government is to secure our rights. And when you start looking at it from that perspective, how secure do you feel in your rights? Because we have, you know, inalienable rights and we're here to live a a life of like life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? We're talking about happiness. (laughs) And so it's so important to really have a good grasp at that. And in fact, I just watched a, kind of a, a mini uh, movie, if you will. It's called Liberty First. And um, actually the link of that is called noncompliantmovie.com. Yeah. And it's an attorney that breaks down, in essence, almost line by line, the Constitution and what it means. And it's such a, 
a powerful thing uh, to look at. And, you know, it's so funny because there's so many things happening in the world right now that is trying to divide us to be like, oh, that's a left conversation or a right conversation. And how about it's a people conversation? Because we know that there's shenanigans on both sides, right? Let's just (laughs) put that out there, you know, forget the actual politics part of it and go, how many, how much do we actually have in common? And if we had more, you know, conversations about what do we all want as people, right? Then you're going to come more down to the crux of what makes you happy and joyful and in alignment with your values and living your best life. When you can find more of the things that we have in common together versus, uh, you know, all the, the noise of the differences and the things that are trying to pit people against each other. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so with you and it's that, that divisiveness and it, it's, it's built into the political agenda. I mean, the, the divisiveness is good for business when it, when it comes to politics, which sucks because that feels so against our values as what we were founded on as, as a country. I mean, when we are able to see common ground, we're able to actually meet there halfway to break the proverbial bread. We, there's so much more we can do as, as a, as a people, as a country, I, I I wish there was more of that, and we're allowed to have differing viewpoints. I think it's so important that we do because that is how innovation happens. And when we're just so forced to, I guess, when we're allowed to not reconcile our beliefs with somebody else's, that's when I don't know. That's just when progress is is it's stunted, and it, it's it sucks. Right, absolutely. And I think that the the big lie that is out there right now is that others know better than you. Yeah. Like, you know, your government or this scientist or or this doctor or you know, all these other things know better than you. And just because they've had education in a certain area, I mean, one of the things if we look at just uh the traditional doctors and medicine, I mean, they call it practicing medicine, right? They haven't necessarily figured it out and they aren't always the most healthiest group either. So I'm not delegating my health to people who are still trying to figure it out. In fact, I've actually aligned myself with a group of people for many years now who are committed to being their own doctor, to understand their own immunity, to take personal responsibility for your own health. When we start looking at the diseases and people getting sick, you know, they have to take some responsibility. Like, have they been smoking for 20 years? Do they not get out in nature? Do they not sleep? Do they not eat, you know, food? It's like, this is part of that abdicating your life of like eating fast food. And, you know, it's like, uh, you'll have people go, Oh, I'm doing the best, you know, that I can for my child. And and I'm going to have them wear a mask and that's great for their health. But then there's a picture of them on their electronics, eating (laughs) fast food. It's like, that is not the totality of health for your children, right? And it's not, uh, and you know, there's many things you can argue either side, but there's definitely a lot of propaganda about what is, you know, right. Like if you say, well, I'm not going to wear a mask because I have natural immunity. I'm a healthy person. You know, uh, I know that if you wear that for a long period of time, it blocks your oxygen. You can't think very well. The the chances because you're breathing in, uh, you know, uh, negative uh, carbon monoxide that you can have more strep throat and type of, of bacterial infections. Like there's a lot of different things that, that show that that's not a good, healthy thing to do. But then people will be like, oh, but you're going to, kill grandpa and you're not looking at the bigger society. Those aren't mutually exclusive conversations. Those are like, you have to look at what's all the questions. How does it affect your family? How does it affect your children? You know, and when people are, have this fear of like viruses and bacteria, it's like, 
people die of like the flu and influenza and all those things every year because of their immunity. And this, if anything, is a wake-up call for people to take that personal responsibility to improve their health in ways that we know that improve their health. Being locked in your home, watching a TV, being told what to do doesn't improve your health. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, tying back to the point of happiness, I think as I kind of... I don't know. I'm about two years into this podcast and it's always been a strong pursuit of mine to really discover what that meant to me as as we've kind of mentioned. And so much of my own personal happiness ties into my health and, and well-being. And that, that means prioritizing sleep. That means, you know, for me, it meant quitting drinking alcohol almost two years ago now. And I've really, really in the last year started focusing on what I'm putting into my body. I, I, I've never really been, you know, a junk food eater. I, I've been a little bit overweight in the past, but I, for the most part, I've always been in pretty good shape. And so, with the restaurants closing down, I I just started making all of my own meals and getting a better understanding of what nutrients are in my food. And now, I, it's not something I say out of pride. It's just something that. I know how food is going to affect my mental and physical states. And so I generally now only eat food that I make because I know exactly how I can feel from that. And so that, yeah, I mean, tying everything together, that, that personal responsibility for my own health and wellness, that is directly correlated to my own happiness levels. Right. Absolutely. You know, and you know, it's, it's no accident that we hear, let food be thy medicine, right? You know, food is meant to nourish the body. And when you have that understanding of how the body works and how, you know, it's actually not that hard to be able to increase your immunity and uh, to really have those principles for yourself so that you are not at the mercy of someone else dictating your health or what's best for your body. You just know because you've looked into it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I, I could not agree more. Um, you know, I, that we've already gotten onto such a great track, but I want to talk a little bit more about your podcast theme as, as a, you know, I mentioned mine being happiness. Yours is essentially a force for good. And I know that means more to you than, you know, just a general sentiment sentiment because you're doing incredible work throughout, you know, your, your career and now across the country as well. So where did that really stem from your desire to really be a force for good, because there are some people who strongly put forth the foot, the foot that they want to be a a force for evil, it seems. And so I really like how you really lay that out clear. Oh, well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, um, my podcast is live your spa life. Um, my business is spa life and the acronym in that the SPA in spa life is for seek power always. And it's about that internal innate God-given power that you have to be able to listen to that and to be your own power and to be that force for good. Like we all have the opportunity, you know, we've all heard that analogy about, you know, the wolf, uh, in your head. It's like, there's a, the negative angry one and there is the happy fulfillment filled one and the yeah. one that succeeds is the one that you the one that you feed yes right and so in order to be a force for good you get really clear on what is your purpose here and what it is that you can do to lead into that uh, and to take a couple steps back you know I'm I'm a retired police officer so you know I got a lot of experience especially when I worked patrol you know you think about I went to 911 calls all day long, 10, 12, 14 hours yeah. of seeing the worst of, of things. I've been in thousands of homes and really got to see 
what were the difference of people making um, decisions that, that didn't bring more happiness into their life, that caused more angst? I mean, you think about it when people aren't calling the police to ha- invite them over for dinner, right? right? It's when things are nuts, right? Things are, they can't have conversations. They can't figure it out on their own. And so we're getting called to be that neutral party. And what's important about that is, you know, how many times can we actually look at other people's circumstances and see it so clearly, right? Because we're not in the picture. And so when it comes to ourselves, we aren't always able to see the full picture. There's missing pieces. And so it's so great to have other people in your life to be able to look at those kind of things. Um, One of the assignments that I had as a police officer was as an undercover prostitute because we were hunting a serial killer. And um, one of the things that that work was another deeper learning for me was it's very different being out uh, in uniform, you know, showing up as that uh, authority and being able to, uh, you know, do my job from that perspective. But as undercover prostitute, all my normal tools that I had were taken away. I didn't have my bulletproof vest, my gun, my radio, wasn't wearing a lot of clothes. I mean, it was a very vulnerable position to be in where I had to take all of my, you know, learning and knowledge from the academy, from my training on the street. But in the moment, I had to trust my knowing and intuition to make decisions, to trust like, okay, how safe was it is to, uh, you know, pull over this person who, any of them could have been the serial killer that we're looking for. And so you had to build that situational awareness, being able to make quick decisions to not second guess myself, you know, to really look at uh, how I could show up in the best way and, and make the best decisions in the moment. And so when I retired from the department, I actually didn't think I was going to be utilizing a lot of those skills, or I actually didn't even tell a lot of people that I was in law enforcement. Uh, And when people would find out about it, of course, they wanted to hear about all the undercover stories because right. there's a million of them, right? That's <laughs> very, very uh, interesting way to, to live your life. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, there were a lot of things that of skills that I learned in that position that are transferable to uh, business leaders and entrepreneurs, you know, to be able to develop the skills to have situational awareness, what's going on in your business greater life around you, being able to have those investigative skills to ask the deeper questions, to not just look at what's happening on the surface, but what is the overall vision? What are you looking at? What are you missing in all of these things? And when you do make these decisions, and this is what can be really challenging uh, for leaders, is that they can make these big decisions, but there can be that internal dialogue that is the second guessing and, you know, what does everybody think about that? And, you know, especially now when there is a lot of um, government, I would call it overreach, but a lot of control of trying to tell businesses of how they are to do their business and what they are dictating to their people. And I think that part of being a leader is getting really clear of what are your personal values? How do they connect with your business values? And how is it that you are securing the, the freedoms of 
of your people to be able to have the wherewithal to make the decisions for themselves, that we're not making every little decision for people, that we trust that they are doing their own research, that they are knowing what's best for their family without being told what to do. And so this whole idea behind being a force for good is, you know, how is it that you are living your best life and what impact that you're having because you are trusting of you know your own journey and you know your own path and that you've assimilated and discerned what that is and when you are and that's an ongoing process that's not just a destination that's a journey that we all take and you know when you allow people to uh, really have the independence to get clear on what that is, that's where we can all really embrace what it is that we're here to do. Yeah. Um, kind of an, an, interesting, an interesting juxtaposition popped into my head as, as you were uh, telling your story. And I, I'd, I'd like to bring it up because I, I, I just want some clarity so I can better understand it. Um, you know, we talk about wanting to trust people to do what's best for them, what's best for their families. And I, that, I think that's putting a lot of faith in humanity, a faith that I want to have. So you having been in, a, in you know thousands of homes as, as a police officer, did you always see that? Or, I mean, there had... I don't know. I get, let me just leave it there. How, did, is that something you always saw or did you see people, you know, taking advantage of the system, you know, uh, treating their family, their spouses, their children poorly? Uh, what What did you see that kind of either strengthened that argument or even um, went against it? Trey, that's a great question because, you know, it's not just uh, one answer. And this is part of the being able to look at the at the whole picture and the totality of what's happening. Because, yeah. you know, remember, as I mentioned, when we would be in contact with people, we did not see their best selves. Right. We were there at a time of volatility that people, you know, you had emotions that were up. There were conflict. There were all of these things that are happening. And I look at, okay, what's the continuum between, you know, volatility and your values, right? Yeah. Because if somebody was, you know, if you were able to have the skills uh, to de-escalate a situation, to separate people, to take a deep breath, to look at this at the bigger picture, you are then able to come more from your values and make decisions. And so what happens is that a lot of times there's a, a generalization, and this is part of the propaganda, is that, you know, you, everyone, you're too stupid or you're too whatever. You can't make these decisions for yourself. And so we need to tell you how to do it. Well, yeah, if you're coming from that place of volatility, which ironically, you know, when you get people divisive and you don't let certain populations speak and you yeah. aren't willing to have conversations and you're trying to make everything that happens, if it's like you're right, you're left, you're black, you're white, you're this gender, you're, I mean, everything to divide people that keeps the volatility up. And then people aren't making decisions from their best self. So right. you have to be able to separate those things out in order for people to make those decisions and to be able to come from that place, um, to be able to look at that. And so people have to start recognizing where are they making decisions from? You know, is it from their best place where they're, you know, tuning in with themselves, they're giving themselves a deep breath, maybe they need to step away from it. You know, are they actually looking and researching things on, on all sides, you know, not yeah. just looking at one side. And then they're taking the totality of something and putting it through the filter of their values, 
what is best because I look at when people look at what's best for themselves, you know, it ripples into what's best for society. And yeah. when things get spun to be like, oh, that's a selfish decision or you're killing grandma or all these other things, those are based on very generalities of people not making decisions from their best self and of their values. They're just making generalizations. And so I like to look at it if we're going to be this force for good and we're going to actually make a ripple effect in the world, part of the whole basis of America was for people to live independent lives and to live their best lives the best that they could and and to have, because, you know, we've all heard the thing that you cannot help or support people from an empty glass, right. you know? And so I look at it as, you know, you got this teacup and you have to fill that cup up and it's only in the overflow that you're then going to help the uh, the rest of the world. It's it's like the the hierarchy of needs. If you don't yeah. have your basic needs met, people are going to make, you know, decisions from the volatility and they're not going to be able to help other people. It's the whole put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Yeah. Like you have to make sure that you're coming from a place where you are strong and calm. And what's ironic is there's been so much focus on quote, you know, the disease out there and the fear and all the things that, you know, no one really looked at what would it be like when you lock people in their home for two years and what are the rates of, you know, depression and suicide and child abuse and domestic violence and loss of finances from your business being closed down. I mean, those are a whole heck of a lot more impacting and longer lasting than dealing with a disease. That's like one part of it. And it's not that simple, right? And I'm not right. making it that way. And I'm not right. saying that people didn't get sick because people get sick of, you know, flu, influenza, COVID, whatever it is every year. And people die because they don't take care of their health. Like there's right. just a whole thing with that, you know, and you can go into all kinds of other layers of, you know, biowarefare and all kinds of other things that can come into play with that. But if we just look at our basic understanding of how we live our life and how we make our decisions and, how quickly now we want to make other people wrong if they don't believe the exact thing that we believe. And there's going to be people listening to this to be like, oh my God, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's killing the society. And, you know, by saying this type of thing, you're only hearing one aspect of it, right? Yeah. And you have to look at the totality. Are you even asking yourself questions? Like if you decide to get the shot, are you getting it because you're being forced, you're going to lose your job or you can't travel? Or did you actually look at the ingredients and look at the side effects and look at some of the things that are happening as a result of that? Because we know anything that is out there from um, a medicine, Western type thing. I mean, look at all the commercials. They speak for themselves. I mean, they talk about the commercial for three seconds and then 30 seconds is all the side effects of how you're going to die from it, you know? Yeah. And but people have to make those decisions and they and but they have to make those educated decisions of is this the best thing for my body and my decision and i'm not here to tell someone i'm not anti-vax i'm just like pro decision making like pro, pro research you know pro making a decision for yourself based on what your own understanding of it that you're not doing things in life on any level whether it's medically in your business with your family from a place of fear yeah yeah, that's, um, I mean, going back to your point, it's it's an interesting dilemma that we find ourselves in because there are people and I, you know, I'm happy to admit that I, I, I didn't have an issue taking the vaccine. And thankfully, I, I, I didn't feel bad after the fact, but I know there are people who are hesitant of it. 
but at the same time, those they're, to your you know, something we just discussed previously. These are a lot of times people who are you know drinking uh, you know sixty four ounce sodas or going to McDonald's every other night or smoking cigarettes. So there, I just I, there there has to be I don't know there has to be some way to really I don't know there there is. A, to your point, we have to be willing to take care of ourselves. We have to understand what that means, because I think if we talk about it from the, the highest viewpoint possible, I just don't think that we, and I, I very much include myself, you know, we are truly have taken stock in what is best for our, for our, our own personal bodies. And we need to educate ourselves and we need to actually do some experimentation. I, you know, for me, I, I've experimented with supplements for a long time just to try and find the optimal levels of, you know, what makes me feel best day in and day out. And it's, it's getting to understand what our bodies react to and how they respond and, you know, what we can do to fully optimize our lives. And I just, I, to me, it doesn't seem like a whole lot of people are interested in that. Right, right. And, you know, one of the things too, in, in, in you taking the shot, you didn't look at that is this is just one aspect. And, and I hope all the rest of my right. health is great because of that. Right. You know, the totality of health and all the impacts of that, you know, you've looked at your, your sleep and what you eat and, and the exercise and, and the mental, you know, emotional type aspects of that, you know, yeah. the spirituality of that. I mean, our health is, is a, a multifaceted thing. And when yes. we put our reliance on one one aspect of it, we are losing out in having the fullness of true health. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you are absolutely correct. Um, I, I, I would kick myself if I didn't uh, go back to your undercover days. And I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how long, how, how long were you in the, were you uh, a police officer? How long did you do undercover work? And I, I'm specifically interested in your undercover work as a prostitute because I talking about vulnerability, and putting yourself out into a dangerous world, I'm just I'm curious how long you were in that particular role, and you know if if you I mean what physical or mental uh, side effects that you had being in that place of of just be, being in that place both in a in a physical standpoint and in a mental one. Mm-hmm. Great questions. Uh, I was on the department for ten years. Uh, and part of me, uh, getting out of the department is I actually had, uh, I was medically retired out. I had shattered all the bones in my gun hand and, um, I actually had an external fixator on it and it took me six months to relearn how to use, um, that hand. And I actually thank God for physical therapy. I've got really good use of it. Um, and I actually can shoot with the hand as well. Uh, but when they did the evaluations, I have, if I, they told me I couldn't get in any more street fights or any type of conversations <laughs> because if I broke it again, I had like a 33% chance of paralysis, yeah. which is a risk that the, the city is not willing to take. So yeah. that's where it went with the, uh, with the retirement aspect of it. Uh, I worked patrol, um, almost the whole aspect of my career and the undercover work was interspersed throughout the whole time as well. So depending on what we were focusing on, because I went undercover in different areas from gangs to narcotics and vice. Um, I spent a lot more time in vice with the undercover prostitution because of the, uh, serial killer, uh, the one, the Green River one that had killed up to 70 women, 20 of them were in San Diego. Uh, we had copycat um, serial killers. And yeah. so uh, a lot of these assignments 
had to do about focusing on the elements that were brought to prostitution. We don't necessarily care who's sleeping with people. And, you know, a lot of people have the argument of that's a victimist crime. Why are you spending time, energy and resources on that? Well, it's because of what it attracts, yeah. you know, prolees, other crimes. You know, if we can arrest someone for prostitution and I was arresting 34 men a night uh, and put them in a time and place when there is other crimes happening in the area, uh, we are able to put them there and be able to then uh, increase our uh, investigation. And actually in the Green River Valley, uh, Green River case, um, it was through undercover prostitution that he was ultimately arrested because they were able to tie his DNA to these crimes and um, all the deaths of these women. So yeah. there's very long reaching effects uh, to be able to do that. Now, as far as kind of prepping for that role, I had no idea what I was getting into back in the day with that. I mean, if you think about, I grew up in a very middle-class family and neighborhood. Everything was, you know, pretty calm. I had 12 years of Catholic school. Uh, I had no idea how things were on, you know, the other side of the tracks. And so, Obviously, I had a quick learning through the academy. I mean, I had never even touched a gun before I had joined the police academy. So it was a very big <laughs> shift in yeah. how I thought the world was run and what those things look like and what that job entailed. And uh, so I definitely learned a lot uh, in in just having to mediate in a lot of different cases and really getting to understand uh, different people's perspective and how things were done. And when it came down to prostitution, uh, you know, I think my my detectives who, you know, because we always had to have at least three detectives that were watching me because, yeah. you know, I didn't have a radio. So they had to, we had to rely on signals and, and what they saw. And you're putting a lot of trust in other people um, when those situations are happening. And so there was a lot of me asking like, okay, so uh, is people pay for that? And how much do you pay for that? And what, you know, all these slang languages and, and what's that called? And, you yeah. know, just, it was a whole new, almost learning another language. In fact, my, um, vocabulary became very spicy. And I can remember throwing a few F-bombs, you know, when I was yeah. at my parents' house and my dad was like, I paid, I paid for that mouth to go to college, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so, you know, it was definitely uh, a huge learning on that. And, and I'm sure that the, the combination of, um, one, my injury and, you know, late nights in patrol at two in the morning, walking down alleys by myself, not knowing when something was going to pop out and, you know, being shot at and just all the different things that were associated with that, having to be on super high alert and having that situational awareness with undercover prostitution, you know, especially with knowing that, you know, there's a serial killer whose specific target was prostitutes. So, you know, you're, you're out there in a, in a very big way. And, yeah. I definitely had some uh, adrenal fatigue uh, when I left the department, you know, because there's so many times where there's hours of, of silence and then you're you're in the mix, like it's right. super quick. Right. And so you have this whole up, down, up, down, up, down, and, and that just can really affect uh, just your whole mental, emotional, you know, outlook on that and, and just the physical and the physicality and in the hours that you work as well. You know, we work, uh, you know, late into the night and early in the morning. And, you know, most people who work just patrol, 
uh, they follow the rotation of their squad. And so uh, they'll have like three months working all night long. And then the next month they're waking up at five in the morning and working the morning shift and then they'll work a swing shift. And so there's so much interruptions in sleep. And so when we look at, you know, all the things that we do to uh, support the body, uh, when I retired, I actually did some deep studies into um, learning some modalities of removing trauma from the body, um, really resetting my my sleep patterns, and really looking at, at how I could do some restoration from that point. Because I think anybody that does any kind of work where you have to be on super high alert and, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of people have actually experienced a lot of this over the last couple of years. Like there's this sense of, you know, impending doom and uh, super fear and people are making decisions from that place. And so you have to recognize where are you at mentally and physically and what are you doing to give yourself that restoration so that you can come back to um, a place of of homeostasis and, and, um, you know, harmony to make some clear, good decisions. Absolutely. Um, Makes, think, makes me think of a conversation I had on here recently with a gentleman named Dan Sheehan. Uh, he was, I believe he was a Marine uh, in the late 90s, you know, uh, past 9-11 uh, into the early to mid-aughts. And we we had a, a lengthy conversation about PTSD. And to me, it sounds like, and please correct me where, I, where I'm wrong here. It sounds to me like that sort of, that's always being in fight or flight mode. That I mean, that that has to have some sort of lasting impact on you, as you mentioned. I mean, would you consider that PTSD? Absolutely. You know, I think that, uh, you know, and everyone has to kind of evaluate what their level of, of trauma is and how it affects them and, and what it looks like. And what are the things that you're doing to um, offset that? I mean, I think that for military and police, and I'm sure even fire and, and EMTs as well, is when you are experiencing in a 24-hour period so much trauma. I mean, yeah. you, you think about like, I mean, I literally would go from a, you know, a rape case to a shooting to, you know, a domestic violence to, I mean, there, there's so many intense experiences that happen one after the other is that you have to learn very quickly to compartmentalize yeah. that you don't have time to like, okay, I just, I just, went and spoke to this person about this, uh, rape that they just experienced. I now can't take, you know, even 20 minutes to, you know, process that myself and how, how do I feel about it? How I'm going to move through that or, or, you know, take a yoga class or, you know, it's like, (laughs) I I don't have the time in between because literally, you know, it's same as with military who is, you know, in a, in a, in a firing situation where, you know, you've got bombings and things are going off. You don't have the time to process that. And so you have to learn to compartmentalize it as a way of protecting the, the mind, the body, that all of it, as you move through that. Uh, but you do need to, I believe that you need to have some ways to get those things because trauma gets stored in the tissues. And if yeah. you don't deal with that, that's where disease can build up. And that's where you have a lot of people that have, um, you know, heart disease or they start drinking and have liver disease or, you know, they just, um, and I think that a lot of the, you know, uh, 
you know, you'll see like officers that will maybe that the further along in their career, they will tend to get out of shape. And that's not necessarily, yes, there's definitely some bad eating and, and right. drinking and, and right. things that, that can happen with that. But the stress and the cortisol levels that affect the amount of, of um, fat that builds on the body, that fat is actually a form of protection. So, you know, it's protecting the body and it's also against, you know, with the uh, emotional and mental aspect of it, that padding that people have. It's just like when people have clutter in their space, it's a protection in some ways. It's keeping you from the things that you really need to either look at or keeping you from. And so anything that is layered in our life um, has that certain degree of separation from ourselves and, and the greater society. And so, you know, one of the things that I would do is um, on the department, our squad as, as a team would work out in the gym uh, before shifts. Yeah. And so that having that physical strength was really good to, to help kind of move those things in our body and keep, keep you strong and keep you mentally alert. And, um, you know, music, like there'd be different songs and things that would, you know, really help either ground you or fire you up for the energy that you need to, to go. Because for me, you know, I was a single mom, you know, back then and, you know, my daughters were very young. And so I literally in a 24 hour period would change hats from, you know, a mom to a cop, to a prostitute, back to a mom. (laughs) That's a lot of different hats to wear and to be able to have the transitions that happened. And, you know, for me, when I would come home late, you know, from seeing the things that I would see on the street, things I would, wouldn't want anyone to see, uh, you know, when I was doing gang things, you know, you'd see a murder like, you know, every night, every other night, you know, for series that would be happening back and forth with the, and, you know, young kids that, you know, would be leaving, you know, way too soon. And so I would build in some transitional activities for myself. Like when I would come home, I would do, um, I would do jigsaw puzzles, you know, and just the whole idea of just putting something together and having some completion and being able to have my mind just kind of, um, look into creating something beautiful and orderly and it was quiet. Like there was that transition that just allowed me to move from what was happening in my workspace to then not creating that chaos in, in my home environment. And, and, you know, there were times that, uh, you know, that there were crossovers in that, you know, I had a period of time where I wasn't in a good relationship. I didn't choose a good relationship. And I had a lot of justifications in myself going, well, it's not as bad as what I was seeing out in the world, but not being able to have that perspective for myself. Right. And so we have to look at all the different decisions and what from what perspective are we making those decisions? And so, you know, the more we can have awareness of those things and the more we can move trauma out of our space, we start having more clarity about what's what's happening with that. In fact, it actually took a, a tragic event. My last case, I was the liaison between a family that I knew where a friend of mine heard seven-year-old daughter was kidnapped and killed. Jeez. And I was a liaison between her, her family and the police department to help find her, which we, we did. And, um, you know, it was, 
really, uh, you know, a lot of those type of things really get has you get clear on how short life is and how you want to live it and what that looks like. And it was through that case that I actually um, left that relationship because yeah. I got really clear on what I didn't want for myself, what example I didn't want as a relationship for my children, and um, some shifts and changes that I made in my life. So it's important for people to, you know, we're not always going to make the best decisions. And we have to have perspective and we have to know when, you know, we're in the fire or we're experiencing trauma or things are happening that, you know, we uh, do the things that allow us um, to get back to ourselves. Absolutely. And I think that's so important to hear that, the, that you had, you, you, you saw what you saw and you decided to leave that relationship and you gave yourself essentially permission to do so. And I think a, a lot, I mean, I, I think probably the majority uh, of people who are in those types of relationships are, are women who need to get out, but I mean, there's are certainly men who do as well. So hearing that, uh, I think hopefully gives people permission to start thinking about that a little bit more critically. Um, I did want to ask uh, somewhat briefly because it is, and I'm sure it's a, it's a problem all over the country. And I, I think it's, I'm just kind of having tunnel vision here. But I know here in actually central Ohio, we do have a, a fairly big issue with human trafficking. And is, is that something that uh, you had worked on uh, as a part of your undercover work? I mean, is that something that you saw often? You know, uh, I know that it was out there. It wasn't something we were specifically working on at the time. I mean, there were definitely um, some younger girls uh, because when, you know, because I worked different aspects of the undercover work because sometimes I was uh, the prostitute on the street and we were focusing on the Johns because we were trying to identify people because of what was going on with the serial killers. Right. There were different times that we were focusing on the pimps. Uh, about, you know, what they were doing and identifying them. And then there were other times that we were talking with and identifying with the uh, prostitutes on the street to find out like what's going on with them. And it's, uh, you know, it's, you really have to build a rapport with them because they've been um, demoralized in so many different ways that they don't trust anybody. And, you know, when you'd see the, the younger ones, you know, cause half the time they'd lie about their age anyway. And right. so, you know, it would be hard to necessarily see, I wasn't really around where it was, uh, the children aspect of it, but I, uh, it's become more and more an awareness. In fact, um, on, on my website, you know, on dianehaffman.com, you can actually look at the give back pages on there. And, um, there's a lot that we do as far as supporting, uh, trafficking. And I've actually had a lot of survivors on my podcast that I've interviewed because I think it is a blind spot for people to not realize how prevalent it is and the misconceptions that, that people have around it and what it looks like as well, because, um, there's a very surprising, um, higher echelon of families that traffic their children, that it's not just this third world thing that happens. There's a lot of, elite things that happen with trafficking with children. Uh, there's just, uh, there's so many different realms of the, the horrific things that are done with children and trafficking is just one aspect of it. There's anything from harvesting of organs. I mean, there's just, there's a lot that happens with that. And, um, some of these girls are used as breeders, you know, where these children are used for a lot of different things, um, with their blood and, and just, really horrific type things that happen. And so, uh, you know, that's part of, of my 
uh, path on on being a force for good is yeah. for people to, you know, sometimes you have to look at the bad to step into how you can make this better and change. And that was actually because I saw so many things I when I retired from the department, especially with the last case being of, you know, when Danielle was killed and she was just seven. And it was the first case where I actually knew the victim. And it was just, that was such a hard transition and tough for not just um, the family, but the community, you know, because uh, she was literally taken out of her home. Like she, uh, there was, they had a dog, they had an alarm and their father was home and she was still taken out of her home. And that really flew in the face of what people thought could possibly happen in their lives that they quote, did all the right things and bad things could still happen. So there's just this aspect of, you know, when I had left, I really, this part of why I didn't really share with a lot of people that I was in the police department or some of the things that, um, I worked on because I was really trying to kind of put all this, you know, quote, bad negative stuff into the past and not have to necessarily deal with it. And ironically in 2020, I went with a, a friend of mine to Tony Robbins' 60th birthday party. Nice. Uh, and yeah, it was in February, which is interesting. It was like a month before all the pandemic stuff blew up. Yeah. And there was like, you know, hunt thousands of people that were there. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that it, it was for a charity for Operation Underground Railroad and the founder, uh, Tim, had was speaking there and really kind of bringing some more awareness of some of the things that they were doing to help in the realm of, of human trafficking. And one of the things before he started speaking about it and uh, Tony had just said, he said, you know, we're going to be talking about some things that are just, it, it's heartbreaking and yeah. it's a tough subject. And m- a lot of you may want to just like get up and go to the bathroom or go do something, but I'm really inviting you to stay put because one of the things that we have to look at and put our mindsets and our hearts around is that if these children had to endure that and still endure this, the least we can do is hear about it and do something about it. Yes. And that was a turning point for me. That was yeah. a shift to be like, you know what? I can't not look at this. I can't not be part of this. And my friend who was with me, who knows my whole background, she just said, there's a reason we're here. She's like, with all of the training that you've had and the knowledge that you have, you're not done with this work. Yeah. And I'm like, oh God, (laughs) here we go, you know? And I just said, you know what? I will, I will talk about this. I will talk about the stories. I will share about, you know, um, the work that I did and I will put, uh, resources towards the people that are on the front lines with this, the people that are really doing some things about this. And so, um, I, uh, I'm really, it's important for people. There's things like Project Safe House and Win This Fight. Uh, There are some really, uh, people should really take some of the online assessments to really have an understanding about human trafficking, child trafficking, and how to recognize it. Because part of the thing that can really make a shift and change is one, that people talk about it, and two, that they know the signs that, you know, there's a lot of interviews happening right now on the borders where, you know, they're seeing these young children that are being taken over the border that are drugged, that people are saying that they're their children and they're not their children, they're, they're traffickers. Right. So a lot of these things are happening right under our nose. Like you're seeing, you know, people coming in and out of hotels or you're just seeing these different things going on that 
you know, again, it comes back to that trusting your intuition is trusting your knowing if something doesn't look right, you know, say something, say something, do something. And so, you know, there's this sense of, oh, well, that's not my job or what if I'm wrong or all these things? Well, what if you're right? Right. right? And the impact that it would have for that child and that doing. And so I think that, you know, anytime we can take these, um, there's some really great, um, online assessments that people can take. There's one that's called I am on watch and people can Google that and take it and, and they're very quickly to go through, but it's, it's a definitely, uh, an awakening and an understanding so that when you know something, you know what you can do about it and you can be aware. And that's part of that situational awareness. And so it's important for people, um, to have the skills to be that force for good in whatever realm that, that they can touch and, and make an impact in. Absolutely. And just, uh, I, I will make sure that I, I put those links in the show notes. So anybody who wants to, to, to see those assessments, uh, they, they can certainly do so. Um, you know, one of the last things I want to talk with you before we wrap up, uh, early in the conversation, we talked about purpose and to me, and, and I, I may be mistaken, it really sounds like you've found yours and that you're, you're living it. And I think so many of us are, it's something, you know, like the pursuit of happiness, something that we're trying to discover day in and day out. You know, for me, at sometimes I will feel like my, I'm living my purpose and other times I, I will feel like it's changed completely. And so, I, I mean, what's it meant to you to be able to do this work? And I mean, do you feel like this is your purpose in this life to really help these individuals who, who don't necessarily have a voice? Right. Uh, well, you know, I think when it comes to your purpose, I think more times than not, your purpose finds you and, uh, you can be in a place of exploration and really looking at it. But I think that, uh, you know, cause a lot of times I do hear, especially people I work with, they're like, well, I think this is my purpose, but I'm not really sure. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in this and also that and that type of thing. I think it's important to just kind of look at, you know, it would seem very unlikely to have me in law enforcement undercover, doing consulting, doing speaking, having a podcast. It's like, how do all those things work together? And you have to look at the through line. What are the things that you did in your life that you um, were really part of of your skill set? You know, there's all kinds of tools like your strength finders that you can kind of see what that is. I mean, if I look just from that, mine is communication, maximizer, and strategy. I've utilized those in everything I've done. I mean, I am a strategist. I can look at situations and see things that people don't see. You know, I'm able to communicate and, you know, do do de-escalation and some of the skills and things that I looked at uh, that it's not exclusive to the department or with entrepreneurs or business leaders. It's like, you know, what are the through lines in your life that time and time again, you are led to that it's not a coincidence. It's not, you know, this is just, uh, these are a part of those nudges in life that you keep going. Hmm. I'm, I'm always called to, uh, support children or I'm being called to, you know, look at our, our community schools or, you know, there's just something where, you know, some of these things start lining up, you know, maybe, you know, you're someone who likes to be out in nature and it's like, okay, well, I want to make sure that it's in clean environment. Like what, you know, whatever those things are, uh, you, I think if people just take the time to start doing it, because I mean, I definitely had some time where I was just like, I don't, I don't want this to be my, <laughs> right. My, right. You know, this is like, this is, I think I've dealt with enough of, of, uh, you know, the, the evil wand of, of life of, of, you know, seeing the dark side of, of so many things. And, and I didn't want that to be, 
uh, my everyday experience. But I think when you have some perspective on it is that, you know, what is it you can do? I mean, you can have different roles of it. Like I don't have to do it as a police officer, but there's definitely ways that I can shift as um, a philanthropist and be able to donate to things. I can bring awareness and people that I have on my show and also people owning their own personal power uh, in business and in life and being able to have that. And so I think when it comes to Uh, looking at your purpose is embracing those through lines, especially those things that feel like maybe they were, you know, your, your mess ups in life. Right. And, and, you know, we've all heard a lot of times that your message is in your mess. And I think when we look at the places that we stumbled, the things that we had to correct, the things that we learned, uh, it's really in those that is your, your purpose and what it is that you're here to do because you wouldn't have had those things if you weren't here to learn something from that. And I hear a lot of people say that, uh, oh, well, I learned this or I did this, but you know, this other person had that too. And, you know, they do it better. So, you know, I don't think I'm here to do that as well. Well, here's the thing. No one walked in your exact shoes and did not have your exact experience. And the way that you learned about it, the way that you shifted and the insights that you had, no one, and I'm saying no one can actually shift that and, and be able to share that with someone like you have. Yeah. And so it's important to know that it may look on the outside that it's similar to someone else's, but your message is your message. And that's what you need to stand into as part of your purpose. That's so well said. I I, I, I cannot thank you enough for that last message. I, I, I really appreciate it. I've, I've absolutely loved this conversation. Um, but Diane, before we wrap up, I have a few closing questions that I, w- I would like to ask. And the first of which is, I don't know, I... I like I said, I extremely, I got extreme value out of the last hour. And it's just, it was, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you, not just, you know, through this conversation, but prior conversations as well. And so I want to be as beneficial for you as I can. So I always like to ask the question, if there's one resource that you're looking for to continue your personal growth uh, or business growth or podcast cast growth or anything that just helps you move forward in this life, and somebody happens to be listening to it across the world and they say, hey, I can help Diane. What resource is it that you're looking for? Well, that is such a giving question. I, I appreciate that, Trey. Absolutely. I would say for me that, you know, uh, what would help me is to connect with business and entrepreneurial leaders who, and people may not always know this, they may suspect it, or it may be themselves as well, who have secretly behind the scenes been second guessing themselves or giving their power away. Like I want to have conversations with those people to help them get back on track. And, uh, you know, they can, they can do that. They can schedule a call with me. I'm I'm happy to have that to help people see something that they're not seeing. Uh, they can do that at dianehalfman.com forward slash connection call. And that's just like a 20 minute call. Uh, It's complimentary where we can really look at that. It's time for more leaders uh, to come into their power and have the confidence and courage to do their greater work. Because if there's anything that is holding us back from those things that we were talking about in terms of, you know, what your purpose is here, then you're doing a disservice to yourself and the people around you. And it's usually those things, I I call it, you know, your undercover life, the part that you hope no one knows that you're living (laughs) from, or you're believing from, or you look like everything looks great. In fact, you're 
company could be super successful, but there's just something that is not aligning below the surface that is is holding you back. And I really want people to claim that power. It's your God-given power. Um, you know, a lot of times people think of power as, as the negative evil version of that. And that's where I, why I talk a lot about being a force for good. Yeah. You know, in order to be a force for good, you got to be in alignment in all the different areas of your life and not have the particularly the mental game that holds you back. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, and then I, I always like to ask as well, um, I'm, I'm a big reader myself. And so books bring so much power to my life. Um, and I'm always curious what uh, my guest's life-changing book is. And so if you could just credit one book with just having a profound impact in your life, what would that book be and why? Well, for me, that would be The Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity by Edwin Gaines. And have you heard of this book? I have not. Uh, you mentioned it previously, but I, I had not. I've yeah. not heard of it or read it. Yeah. So it's a little book. It's not that big of a book. And one of the things I love is the number one law principle that's in there is around tithing, and that really shifted because you know growing up, uh, you know, Catholic school. And, you know, tithing was something that you gave to the church. It was like, you know, that was like, that's all tithing was about. And one of the things that really opened my eyes is that she talks about tithing as uh, giving that 10% of your income to wherever you receive your spiritual growth. That may be an institution, but it may be a person. And it may be something outside of the religious uh, definition of it. But when you look at your spirituality, what are the things in your life that really give you your spiritual growth? And that really opened a lot for me because one, I, th- I think tithing in general is, is a great thing because when you take put money out into the world, it's like uh, it gets you out of scarcity mindset. And yeah. she talks a lot about in the book about how she didn't really have she thought, oh my God, how can I can barely live on what I'm living on now? How could I tithe and make this happen? But once she started doing that, she actually started having more abundance because you start looking at things at in a different way and you start thinking of provision and what is here for you and what is available. And you know, I started really looking at, you know, who is it that I want to uh you know, give my money to and have a direct impact on. And so that was where I really started looking at, okay, I can make an impact in human trafficking. I can make an impact in, you know, some of, sometimes uh, a trainer that I've had, you know, it's like, who's just doing good work. And, you know, I was even at a, um, an event and there was this young girl and she was doing a lot for helping, uh, you know, kids in reading. And she had this like reading program thing. And, you know, I usually keep, I actually have a, a separate, uh, a checking account for my tithing. And so, uh, I would, I have a, either a credit card or a, a checkbook that's associated with it. And I was just like, I just always go with like my knowingness of who I need to give in, in this vein. And so I had wrote a checkout to her and I had put it, I had a note and I had just given it to her and, you know, you know, you never know, like, what impact you're going to have, especially if it's an anonymous institution. But when you give to someone directly, and I had gotten a note back from her because we we saw each other like once a month at this meeting thing. No one knew about it. It was just her and I, and I had just given it. And she sent me a note and she just said, she said, I went home and I cried that I received this money from you because I wasn't sure how I was going to get my next meal and that I've given everything to my project of what I'm doing. And I just needed a little boost that I got from you. Yeah. And it made all the difference from me. 
And it was just one of those things like you don't necessarily know. And you're not always going to get a feedback because I've given, you know, things out where I have no idea what the, you know, the impact of that's going to be. But it's things like that where when you know you can make a direct, you know, impact with someone, that really goes a long way. And when you have that as a guiding principle, that was something that changed my outlook on tithing for the rest of my life is yeah. as far as the energy of that and what it does and what it looks like. That's amazing. I, I love hearing that. And it's, it's such an incredible story. Um, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and then last, I always like to ask if you could offer one call to action to the audience, whether it's a call to action that you strive to live your life by, or you strive to um, instill in others, what would that be? That's very simple for me. Own your power. You know, you can get all the information in the world and it won't give you the intuition you need. You can gather all the knowledge, but you won't have the knowing within you. You want to embrace that God-given ability to really have your intuition and your knowing be a living, breathing thing. And to know that, you know, your power is not something that's outside of you. All the noise and craziness and all the things happening in the world it's almost like you're watching a movie of what's going on, that all those things out there don't determine who you are and what you do. And at the end of the day, you are your own power. Oh, that's so perfect. Diane, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been so wonderful just getting to know you a little bit more. And I'm so looking forward to staying connected into the future. Um, If people would like to connect with you, if they'd like to learn more about you, I know you've mentioned your website a couple of times. Are you on social? What's the best way for people to just stop in and say hi? Oh, thank you. Well, I am definitely on the social platforms, uh, Instagram. You can send me a, a DM if you have a you know a question or you want to connect. Uh, you can definitely go to my website. I actually have a great resource on there about how to avoid crisis. That's a, a, a great thing to pick up there. Uh, and if you are one of those leaders that need to just have that extra support, then definitely let's get on a call together. And again, that's dianehaffman.com forward slash connection call. Perfect. And I will, again, make sure all of those links are in the com- or, I mean, not in the comments, in the, on the website. Um, Diane, again, thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to, to talking again with you soon. Thank you, Trey, so much. I appreciate you having these conversations. You're making a great impact and people feeling more happiness in their life. Once again, I would like to extend a huge thank you to Diane for joining me on the podcast. It was such a pleasure getting the chance to speak with her again. And if you have the opportunity, please be sure to check out the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com. Not only to see all of the incredibly important resources that Diane had mentioned uh, in the last half of the podcast there, especially in relation to human trafficking, but also be sure to check out the conversation that she and I had on her podcast live your spa life. If you got a value out of this conversation between Diane and myself, I would be so incredibly grateful if you would share this with a friend who might also get value out of it. That is the best way you can help the podcast continue to grow and continue to reach new audiences. Thank you all again so incredibly much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.